This is the Artisan CEO Podcast, Season 4, Episode 8. On this episode, we'll be talking about my marketing playbook. I'm spilling how and where I market my brand photography business, and I've been really intentional about making sure that social media isn't my main source of attraction. Saddle up, because this episode is going to be good. Welcome to the Artisan CEO, where the art of photography meets the business of profits. This is where strategy and craftsmanship coexist so that you can run a creative business that supports a life you love. I'm your host, Abby Grace, and I promise to give it to you straight. I used to be really good at social media. Uh, Before we had kids, I was really consistent with my sharing. I had a whole schedule mapped out, and my professional content spanned from sneak previews on Instagram to behind-the-scenes content. How I initially built momentum for my brand photography business when we first introduced the offer. Social media was a really big part of that. I loved sharing. I loved interacting. I loved the community of photographers and the clients that I found on social media. All of that was amazing. And then I also came to cherish the personal side of social media. As we began down the road of infertility, it was such an encouragement to me when other women came forward with DMs like, oh my gosh, I felt so alone until I started seeing you share about this. And like now my husband and I are able to have more open conversations about potentially doing adoption or, you know, just anything. We, we, we would get DMs like that. And it was really encouraging to realize that it wasn't just a tool I was using for my business. It was a way that I was able to encourage other people in their personal lives. And then as we entered into the adoption journey, I wanted to share more of that to help illuminate this process that can so often feel murky and unknowable from the outside. So long story short, I love social media both for professional and personal reasons, and both of those helped to feed into the overall value of the brand that I was building. But once our first son Felix was born, it was like this switch flipped. And I loved sharing photos of my family because I was so freaking excited to finally be a mom. And the journey of adoption, that resulted in a huge shift in my own heart that I wanted to share because I knew it was a shift that a lot of other people may not even realize might happen in their their lives. But once I became a mom, all of a sudden, posting all the time felt like it took this monumental amount of effort. And with the fact that my time was more limited than I had ever experienced, I couldn't just pick up my phone and scroll in the evenings like I used to because I wanted to be present with my family. So my time was more limited and there was this lack of a direct line from, okay, I'm going to post on Instagram to cha-ching, money in my bank account. With all of that, social media began to feel less and less important because it wasn't just the initial creation and then the posting that took up time, it was checking back in and monitoring for comments and then engaging with those comments within the however however short of a time span that you're supposed to engage with them. I think back when Felix was born, it was like, oh, you need to respond to comments within like four hours. So you're like addicted to checking back. And um, I just don't think I had realized how much time I had been spending on social media before kids, but I, I knew that as my as I became a mom, I didn't want to default to picking up my phone and looking at a social media feed every time there was a lull in activity, which, you know, when you have a newborn and you've got those middle of the night feedings, like it's really easy to pick, just look for something to numb your brain while you pass the time. And I knew that I didn't want social media to be that because there's so many triggers there that can make you fall into those spirals of, oh no, I'm not doing enough or, oh my gosh, she just did this thing and I'm falling behind, all of that. So I've always said I want my kids, I mean always, 
ever since we've had kids, I've said that I want my children to know my face better than the back of my phone. And with how easy it is for me to feel almost addicted to those feedback loops of Instagram and Facebook and TikTok, I knew that I was going to need to draw some really strong boundaries around where and when I used my phone for business. And social media can blur that line really fast. Online work in general blurs that line. I used to find myself truly addicted to checking my email. And that is, I mean, studies have shown that you get a similar hit of dopamine when you check your email as to when you pull the lever on a slot machine. So I took email off of my phone in 2013, maybe 2014, and uh, have not looked back since then. But withdrawing the boundaries of social media, it also meant that I was less present, which means then the marketing machine portion of our business slowed down. Because social media at the time was one of the only forms of marketing that I was actively pursuing. So once I pulled back on posting as frequently uh, as I had been doing previously, I realized that we were going to need to up the activity somewhere else in our business in order to make sure that new leads were still coming in. Here's the big idea of today's episode. Putting all of your marketing eggs in one basket is a risky move. You need to diversify your streams of marketing. Real quick, photographers, are you tired of lather, rinse, and repeating the same tired collection of forgettable photos from one brand session to the next? If you're ready to turn yawn-worthy galleries into the sort of results that thrill your clients and get you both noticed, then you're definitely going to want to join me for my free training, The Backstage Secret to Scroll-Stopping Brand Photography. Whether you're a seasoned veteran or you're just getting started out in the world of branding, this session is for you. I'll teach you my number one strategy for crafting stories that resonate with your clients and their audience, which is the biggest secret behind creating galleries that not only look stunning, but also drive engagement and sales for your clients, which, spoiler alert, is what keeps them coming back for additional sessions in the future. Because as brand photographers, purposeful matters more than pretty, but who says you can't have both? Our job is to think like a marketer and shoot like an artist, but you have to have both pieces of that equation and learning to approach with the mindset of a strategist that changes everything. So if you're raring to say goodbye to cliche galleries that simply repeat what's already clogging your Pinterest and social media and hello to a method that drives brand loyalty and real bottom line growth, then head on over to abbygrace.co slash training. That's abbygrace.co slash training. It's time to leave those forgettable, smiling at a laptop photos in the dust in favor of a more tailored approach that's going to leave your clients obsessed and already planning for their next shoot with you. One more time, that's abbygrace.co slash training. I'll see you in class. So if you're someone who's currently working TikTok or Instagram for all that it's worth, good for you. Please continue doing that. But this episode still applies to you because here's the reality of the situation you do not own your social media audiences. Mark Zuckerberg or ByteDance owns those audiences. Those followers are not really yours. Yes, they have signed up to hear from you by tapping the follow button, but you are still on someone else's app, on someone else's platform, which means that they control the game board and it can change in a heartbeat. Do you remember that meta outage that happened a couple of years ago when Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp all went down for several hours and then 3 billion people around the world all of a sudden found themselves unable to communicate en masse with all of these followers that they had accrued. I remember reading about it in the Wall Street Journal the next day that there was this woman in Australia 
a small business owner who was like, all of a sudden, she had zero way to communicate with her customers. Her entire business was built upon Facebook. She had no other means of communication with them. Can you imagine how scary that would be to all of a sudden not be able to talk to the people who either want to pay you or have paid you and are waiting for you to fulfill an order? That's really scary. Or what about the fights that TikTok is facing against parts of the U.S. government and the legislators that are attempting to hem bite dance in with where it can be used and it can't be used on government devices and, and the TikTok influencers who've all banded together to fight Congress for the ability to keep making money from those hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of followers that they've accrued. Or maybe you know somebody who's had an account hacked and lost all of their followers. I know somebody that that happened to and she never got them back. Like, can you imagine amassing tens of thousands of followers of building your career off of your ability to share with people on one specific platform only to try to log in and find that your password's been changed and someone in Belarus is sharing posts from your account about a, a great new crypto community that they want you to buy into. Or maybe get a random note that you have to pay some hacker thousands of dollars to get your own account back because this stuff happens. I'm not trying to go full doomsday on you, but what I'm trying to illustrate is how quickly a channel of marketing can change or dry up. Because when you're building on someone else's platform, you are subject to their terms. Like if you were to rent a plot of land and then build a house on top of it, if the lease for that land ends, you do not get to demand the right to stay simply because you invested in building. The fact of the matter would be that you created something on a foundation that you didn't own. Social media is the same way. I know that it is so frustrating when fewer than like 5% of your audience even sees your posts, much less engages with them. Like, oh, I've built up this following of one or five or 10,000 people. Why have only 87 people seen my stories from today? These are my followers for Pete's sakes. They said they wanted to hear from me. But when the algorithm changes the game to present people with content that they're more likely to engage with, it isn't because they're trying to mess with you. They are trying to keep their advertisers happy. And when their advertisers are happy, it's because their ads are being shown to and then purchased from people who need whatever product or service it is that that they're selling. And need is a relative term. Need, want, desire, etc. So Yes, social media companies are out to make money, but they're also in it to serve their audiences because if, if Facebook, Instagram, whatever, stopped serving the people who use their apps, it means that advertisers would stop paying to run ads and social media companies would stop making money. So I say all of that because when I'm feeling extra frustrated or salty with social media, it is really easy to make it into a boogeyman, to take the fall for my frustration that a shift in marketing has resulted in the in my previously successful tactics all of a sudden no longer working. I, I worked myself into a frenzy about this on Monday. I'm recording this on a Wednesday. I did this on Monday. But when we look for someone to blame, all that does is relieve us of the need to take any personal responsibility to do something about it, which then lets me sit and moan about all of the wrongs that have been done to us as small business owners by the big social media companies. So a healthier way to look at it, if you're someone like me who is frustrated by that constantly changing landscape, is that this is just a part of doing business in the modern world. There is no one to blame per se, but it is important to acknowledge when that landscape does change so that we can change with it. This might sound hypocritical coming from me because <laughs> I've resisted reels and short form video for years. Some of that is steeped in my desire to break the addiction of the scroll. So it's like a legitimate gripe. 
But another part of it is just me acting like an 85-year-old grump who won't stop kvetching about how good things used to be so that I don't have to focus on working on what's in front of me. This is the name of the game when it comes to marketing, especially as a small business, adapt or die. Being a small business owner means being a nimble marketer. This is part of our job. And we can sit and whine all we want, guilty as charged, about how it isn't fair that we have to spend so much time marketing instead of focusing on our craft. But at the end of the day, people can't buy from you if they don't know you exist. And marketing is how you get your name in front of them. If you don't want to learn how to market, I would suggest that you rethink your presence in the world of small business ownership. This is part of the cost to play, unless you are earning enough to be able to hire it out to a marketing agency. So thank you for coming to my TED Talk, lovingly titled, Put Your Big Girl Pants On. So yes, we accept that adapting is necessary, especially when it comes to social media, but then we also want to be smart about protecting what you've already built by diversifying your streams of marketing. We've established that betting the whole house on an algorithm that you don't control, that's building on land that you don't own, is a dangerous game. So the solution to that is to spread out how you're investing your marketing attention. I once heard financial advisor Portia Jackson say that the magic number for stabilizing your inflow of cash is seven, seven streams of revenue between your business and your investments. And that's going to help you weather ups and downs in the market, in the globe, whatever, in the globe, in the market, in the economy, in the world in general. Well, it's the same approach that we're going to take with marketing. The more streams of inflowing inquiries and attention, the steadier your business is going to be in the event of a market disruption, whatever form that may take. Ask any photographer these days what their marketing plan involves, and nine times out of 10, they will start talking to you about how they're using social media. But that is only one of the four buckets of external traffic as outlined by master marketer Julie Chanel. So in a blog post she wrote back during the meta outage, she outlined the four buckets of external traffic as search, social, relationships, and paid traffic. And what I mean by traffic is simply eyes on your business. So where are new leads hearing your name for the first time? How are people finding you? And the goal is to turn your incoming traffic into leads by clearly communicating your value as a service provider and demonstrating that you can help solve the problem that the client is having. But first, they need to know that you exist. And if social media is your only inroad, then something has to change. If you're from the North where winters are cold and ponds and lakes freeze over, I'm, I'm not from the North, but I think I learned this on an episode of National Geographic. So if you're accustomed to being around ice or if you watch National Geographic, you know that if you ever find yourself on thin ice and you're at risk of falling through, then the safest way to proceed to thicker ice or to move towards land is to spread out your weight. So that way, instead of all of your all of your weight being concentrated between two size eight shoes, which means a higher number of pounds of pressure per inch, instead, you should lay down, spread out, and roll to safety because spreading out redistributes your weight, which then results in fewer pounds of pressure per inch, which makes you less likely to fall through. So when it comes to marketing, you need to expand where people are finding you so that if one stream of revenue all of a sudden dries up, you still have leads coming in from other directions. So don't freak out. I'm not about to outline a plan that's all of a sudden going to claim 98% of your work hours every week. Instead, I am going to present a list of options that I hope will eventually turn into regular rhythms that you build into your weekly schedule. So Julie Chanel outlines those four buckets of external traffic as search, social, relationships, and paid. But what does that mean? 
Well, search-related traffic is people who find you via search engines or search engine type searches. So Google, YouTube, Pinterest, even podcasts fall into this category. And search-related traffic comes your way when someone is actively looking for an answer to a question. Maybe scrolling through YouTube, they're looking for lighting videos and they find your channel because of a video titled, three easy lighting setups for brand photographers. Or someone types in DC brand photographer into Google and uh, your website pops up in the top 10 results or maybe best brand photographers near me and you're on the first page. So the goal with search related traffic is to position your content as the answer to the question that your audience is searching for. It's the, the answer to the problem that they're experiencing, which then results in warmer leads than if they simply stumbled upon you via like a reel that pops up on their explore page. And with search-related traffic, you help them learn of your existence by creating multiple opportunities for the client to find your name as they look for answers to a question or a problem. Leads generated by search is a long game. So your goal with creating content that can be found via search is to slowly add and build so that you have numerous opportunities to be found by people who are actively looking for you or your solutions or your content, even if they've never heard of you before. So a well-formulated piece of content that you wrote years ago can continue to earn you traffic for months, maybe even years down the road. The social bucket is exactly what it sounds like. It is traffic that comes to you via social media. Instagram reels, stories, carousels, posts to your feed, TikTok posts. I'm sure there's more nuance to TikTok, but honestly, I don't use TikTok. So, you know, follow that example at your own risk. (laughs) There is your personal Facebook page, any groups that you're part of that you may network in. And if you're a LinkedIn user, we will include that in the social bucket as well. So with social traffic, you're hoping to catch their attention by interrupting them with engaging content and then quickly earning a micro commitment in the form of a follow. So these are people who might one day need or want what you offer, but there tends to be less urgency, less need for a solution right now, which then gives you the opportunity to win them over with multiple exposures to your brand over the coming weeks and months. The relationships bucket, this is the one that converts at the highest rate for our business. So this includes referrals, which is my main source of booking. 75% of my clients come to me via referral. It also includes any PR, like getting published in a visible location, and then any businesses that you were intentionally pursuing or building rapport with in order to hopefully do business with them in the future. So with relationship-driven traffic, these are typically people like search traffic in need of a solution to a problem. And when they're coming by way of a personal recommendation, it means that you're often only one of a handful of options, maybe the only option that they are considering. You're not competing with pages and pages of Google results or hundreds of other posts that clog your audience's social feeds. I love this bucket of traffic because it continues to pay off when you're not actively working on it. Relationship marketing, I love this. It also builds your authority because it isn't just you talking about how great your services and products are. You're bringing somebody else in who also believes in what you're selling. And that person has the trust of their audience behind their words. So you're harnessing the power of both their authority and social proof when it comes to relationship marketing. Finally, the paid traffic bucket encompasses anything that you're putting dollars behind in exchange for exposure or views or impressions. And I don't mean working for exposure, like if somebody asks you to shoot for free, that's a pretty hard no for me. So I'm not talking about 
doing free work and someone else promises you exposure in general. I'm talking about paying, like you put dollars out in order to get your material in front of other people, that kind of exposure. So this is going to be Facebook ads, sponsored or boosted posts, running traffic to your latest reel, um, paying for specific placement on Google, paying for listings in a directory or a magazine, that kind of thing. So we have two sides to our business. I've talked about this in episodes past, but we have the agency side where I photograph strategic marketing-minded brand photographs for high-performing creative small business owners. And then there's the educational side of our business where I teach my signature course, Brand Photography Academy. We've got our newest course, Lighting the Brand Session. We have digital downloads in our product shop. We have this podcast, all of that. So our audience for the education side is almost exclusively photographers and typically newer brand photographers or wedding and family photographers who are looking for an off-ramp and maybe they're interested in branding as a way to diversify their income or even change industries. Any paid traffic that we're running as of now is being run to that audience. We have not experimented yet with paid traffic for high ticket offers, which are like offers that cost several thousand dollars, my half day and full day brand sessions. And we haven't experimented with that side of running traffic for like ideal brand clients, not because traffic to high ticket offers doesn't work, but because we just simply haven't sat down to work out a plan for that yet. That's actually on Matt's list of things that he wants to hammer out this year. Maybe this disclaimer actually should have come at the top of the episode now that I'm thinking about it, but I don't want you to hear... Julie's list of search social relationship and paid and then my expounding on that list I don't want you to hear that as a list of homework assignments for yourself and then feel crushed by this sudden pressure of needing to start a YouTube channel and a podcast and start running Facebook ads and a steady referral program all of that by the end of next week because that's not what I'm telling you to do what I've just outlined for you are several avenues of marketing that are available to you I have been in business for more than a decade and we have tried a lot of different marketing tactics tactics. Some of those stuck and some of them didn't, (laughs) but it's taken me almost 15 years to get to where I am now. And our current marketing plan took us a long time to land on. And that's an ever evolving process. So I want you to hear this episode and I want you to hear the strategies that I've outlined and then cherry pick from those. Take maybe one tactic from this episode and try it out. One of the best ways to ensure that you burn out, if that's something that you're a fan of doing, is by trying to take everything I've just shared and implement it all at one time. So just choose one new thing to try and then try that consistently for several weeks. And then once you feel like you've got a system or a routine established, add in one more tactic. So I just threw everything in the kitchen sink at you so that you'll have a well-rounded understanding of marketing, but I want you to hear all of that as a menu of options for you to choose from, especially if you're starting from zero, okay? So try one new tactic, and if you like it and you wanna keep it, then make sure you have a system or an infrastructure to maintain that new tactic before you add another one. The TLDR of today's episode, don't put all of your eggs in one marketing basket, especially if you don't own the basket. Be conscious and intentional about spreading out your marketing avenues and efforts so that on any given day, no matter what is going on with the algorithm or the economy, that you have a consistent place where new leads can find and fall in love with what you offer. 
If you're interested in hearing a more thorough breakdown of my tactics for each of those marketing strategies I outlined, I did a six-episode private podcast on this very subject called Unsinkable Marketing. You can find the link for that show in the show notes for this episode. So in that mini-series, I spill exactly how we approach things like Facebook ads, forming relationships with dream clients, where I find those dream clients, and so much more. So we'll put the link to that in the show notes, or you can simply search your favorite podcast app for the show Unsinkable Marketing. Coming up in the next episode, we'll be talking about practical, tactical ways to turn off work outside your office hours in order to be more present for that life you've been working so hard to provide for. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, remember to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode and head over to abbygrace.co slash podcast for even more resources to help you blow your clients away at your very next brand shoot. I'm Abby Grace and I'll see you next time. Now, let's go get after it, shall we?